All right, everybody, this is Liberty Alliance Network's What Can We Do? I'm Haley Heathman, and today I am joined by Patty Myers and Dana Stevens. They are producers and uh, creators of the, of the documentary Making a Killing, and I am here to talk to them about the documentary and their experiences and what led to making that documentary. And I have to say, I'm I'm sorry to meet under these circumstances, um, because obviously um, it we're meeting because of the tragedy of what happened to Patty's husband and Dana's mother. And um, I want to give each of them an opportunity to just introduce themselves and just say a brief word about um, what what they what happened to them. Um, just a general overview, because obviously the documentary itself goes into the detail of everything that happened. But um, Patty, why don't we start with you? And why don't you tell me about your experience? Tell us about your husband. So my husband, uh, his name is Tony Myers. And I always like to start by saying that he was full of life and who he was as he was on this earth. And he was a funny guy. And he loved to crack jokes and, and make people laugh and uh, do tricks and, and things like that. So, uh, and we have some nonprofits and he helped help me do those with our students with disabilities. So he was really serving and, and helping uh, people. So um, yeah, he went in the hospital um, and uh, uh, the details, like you said, will be in the documentary about the uh, lack of care or the um, belittling and uh, the rudeness and the you're never going to make it kind of conversations. It was just life sucking. And uh, he was there almost four weeks. And, so I just uh, want to stop you real quick, just just in case anybody is not aware, we're talking about COVID. Uh, so he went to the hospital because of COVID. And most people who listen to my show probably know that that's the tack that I take. I talk about this a lot, but um, so, yeah, so he went into the hospital. I don't, I'm not sure on the, maybe I missed it on the documentary. What day did he go into the hospital? What date? Uh, August 15th, 2021. Okay. And so then he, he wasn't, it wasn't like the initial wave or anything. And, and, and Dana, you were the same. Your mom was what, September? Uh, yeah, September 27th of last year. Yeah. Okay. So neither one of you had loved ones die like the initial kind of wave. Right. Um, right. It was kind yeah. of like this, the second wave. The Delta is what they yeah. call it. Yeah. yeah. So Patty, um, um, go ahead. So um, and and Tony's story in particular is really about um, them not giving medicine that we requested or he requested. Uh, he asked for help from governor, news media, ACA. Uh, he looked up his patient rights and no one responded. And then finally I fought for ivermectin. He got it and they stopped it at some point. So that's the short version of that. And he died 10 days later after they stopped the medicine that was hugely showing that it was massive improvements. Um, Cause before he got it, they said, you're not gonna make it, you're gonna die. You need to be vented. And then three days later, oh, you're going home in a day or two. Oh, you're dying again. That's kind of how it went. So um, now, 
correct me if I'm wrong, because there was a lot going on, but did, was there like a Facebook campaign for your husband at any uh, point? No. No. Okay. Then that uh, there's another one I'm thinking of then too. I wasn't sure if that was Tony or not, but um, yeah. yeah, about these, you know, trying to get them help in the hospital because it yeah. was, yeah. Um, I mean, I did daily posting and then I remember one day I even said, I can't wait to tell you guys about the full story of this. It's mm -hmm. not the time and place, but, mm -hmm. um, and again, I am not a political, uh, I don't get involved in drama and all this stuff. Um, my husband was very involved in knowing what's going on in the world. And I kind of kept a distance and what he used to tell me before he died about not just COVID, but just about the craziness going on in the world and and even the medical system i was like that's a little crazy uh -huh. i literally watched this stuff happen i mean i i in front of my eyes and i still even to this day i'm still like did that really happen it's so it's so out of my brain cells uh what how they talked to him what they didn't do did do and um it's murder Mm -hmm. you know, it yeah. took me a while to get there to that word but when you something is hugely working um to heal you and then they say nope we're not using it anymore I mean that's murder yeah. so uh he didn't have you know right to try he didn't have any of that stuff so uh and at the least at the least he wasn't getting food and water and and uh ice I mean, yeah. at the very least at the mm -hmm. end there. So yeah. that's, that's a problem. Yeah. I remember, you know, watching that part of the documentary and there are numerous times, both with both of your stories, just, you know, uh, even hearing you recount it where I was in tears as well, just um, thinking about the, the horror uh, of having to, to live through that. Mm -hmm. um, Dana, why don't you give us a little bit about, tell us about your mom. Um, so she was, uh, she was only 59. Um, you know, she was an amazing grandmother, five grandsons, and uh, she's uh, suffered with COPD for probably more than 15 years. And uh, so around the, the time that uh, we ended up um, bringing her to the emergency room, you know, uh, we thought she was just having a COPD flare up. Um, uh, she, you know, uh, would check her oxygen at home, and it was in the low 90s. So um, we, I dropped her off and, uh, you know, they admitted her, uh, right away. And, and, uh, I think an important part of, of all of our stories, um, is that right away they asked about your vaccination status. And, mm -hmm. um, so she, um, you know, went with her gut feeling and, and said that she was vaccinated and they were giving her all the appropriate treatment, um, you know, the, the correct amount of oxygen, um, breathing treatments, everything that she had been used to as far as like a protocol for COPD. And uh, it was two days later uh, where she, they ended up finding out somehow that she was not vaccinated. I don't know if she slipped up, but so in the medical records, it actually shows that they discontinued all of those things that you know, was helping her and they started ordering the remdesivir um, and she refused it. Uh, medical records show five times and they ended up giving it to her against her will and at that same time, they uh, they were starving her of oxygen. They uh, they weren't giving her the appropriate amount for 
you know, a 59-year-old woman who um, had pretty severe COPD, um, and she wasn't getting the breathing treatments, the steroids, and so by day 10, um, you know, she had already been getting uh, the remdesivir, and also in the medical records, um, the day that they gave it to her, that's when she started experiencing um, chest pain, and uh, that's when her saturation started to um, decline. Um, so from there on out, um, it was just, uh, I mean, she was uh, held hostage. They, they wouldn't release her to me. Um, and I called the cops, I called attorneys. I was told I would have to get an injunction and that, you know, that's insane to me trying to get your loved one out of the hospital and you're told by attorneys, you have to go to the courthouse to do that. Um, so, uh, you know, we basically ran out of time and they gave her an execution date. Um, mm. October 22nd last year at one o'clock PM. I mean, she was forced into hospice because we couldn't get her out and they wouldn't let her go anywhere else because they did another COVID test. And this is 25, six days after her initial test that was positive. And, and they tell everybody that after 10 days, you're no longer contagious. But um, so they said she can't go anywhere else because she still had COVID. Uh, and I couldn't move her, couldn't bring her home. Um, the cops would be called. They called security on me um, when I wouldn't leave. Um, so we had no choice. Um, and they were, I mean, they were torturing her. Um, so to have to watch her suffer, um, it was just, I, I know she wanted a way out. And unfortunately, they, they made it to where that was the only way out. So. Um, so my sister and I had to sit there as they overdosed her and, uh, they would only let my kids and, you know, all of her grandkids say goodbye through the window. So, you know, as she's sitting in the ICU room, crying, looking at her grandsons for the last Oh man, that has to be traumatizing. Um, not just for you, uh, probably for your, for your kids. Um, do they have any thoughts on this? Are they old enough to understand what happened? Have you talked to them about what happened? Um, yeah, my oldest, um, I also have my twin nephews. I have custody of them. So, mm -hmm. um, they, all three of them have been, um, you know, in therapy. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD about eight months ago and I was um, in pretty intensive therapy. Um, but you know, <laughs> I think, you know, they, they did therapy for a while and I don't know if anybody really recovers from something like this. And it's something that's so out of the ordinary, you know, just the whole dynamic of, of the situation, um, it's just not normal, um, mm -hmm. which is another reason I think that it's so dismissed by the general public not believing it because it's that horrific. I think the, the problem is for the, through this whole COVID episode, and it's still ongoing, is the doctors and nurses, um, and this comes from the top down, but their failure to follow the science um, mm -hmm. themselves. And I know, Patty, you mentioned at one point in the, the documentary, you're just so sick of hearing the word protocol. I do not mm -hmm. want to hear the word protocol anymore, but they have to follow this protocol. And if it's not part of the protocol, either they can't or they won't do it because um, you know, there are things at stake. Yeah, the money. Yeah, they're, um, but they also are at risk personally of losing licenses, of losing hospital privileges. They have them over a barrel in many different ways. So were there doctors or nurses that were 
maybe sympathetic to you, but were kind of like hands were tied or were they, I know that was part of the, the thing for both of you was how dismissive both, you know, doctors and nurses were, but did you come across the ones that were sympathetic that, but that just maybe couldn't do anything for you? I mean, literally I, I had two out of all four weeks, doctors and nurses that uh, one at the end, like two days in or two to, two days before the ventilator. And then um, kind of one at the middle. Um, it was just kind of like, you're going to be fine. Don't listen to them kind of thing. But everybody else was just no emotion. You're going to die. There's nothing more we can do. Yeah. It was just over and over again. Yeah. What about you, Dana? I mean, I can't remember one nurse or anyone there that, uh, that had, was sympathetic or, um, I mean, there were maybe a few who were cordial, but I mean, um, a lot, most of them would make remarks about her vaccination status. And, um, and what's really crazy to me is, you know, about a month after they murdered my, my mom in the same hospital, um, one in court against the mandates, which says what they didn't want it either, but they were, they were killing people who, who didn't have it. So it just, none of it makes make sense. Any of it. Mm -hmm. I noticed in the documentary that, um, you didn't really mention the hospitals involved. Was that a deliberate choice? Not yeah, I usually mention. Yeah, because and you know what, it it doesn't really matter. They're all doing this, you know. So, I mean, I'm not afraid of any lawsuits necessarily, mm -hmm. but um, because I met and with where, this... and where were you? I, I mean, I know I think you alluded to being in Florida, but it didn't. And I'm not sure it was specific in Florida where you are. So, where are you, Patty? We're outside of Orlando. We're around. And that's Orlando. where this this occurred. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Dana, where in Florida are you? Um, I am also close to Orlando. Um, this I'll say, you know, where it happened. I say it usually every interview, but mm -hmm. Advent Health in Altamont. Mm -hmm. is where. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they were fighting. They were fighting the mandates, like as in, as in, they wanted the mandates. Uh, the other the hospital name. The hospital fought the mandates and won in court so they didn't mm -hmm. have to which means they didn't want it either um so yeah and this was only a month after after my mom after what happened to my mom um so and I, I think you know and that's something that maybe although maybe not but maybe some people would be shocked to hear is that all this happened in florida so i mean yes we there are certain ways in which we were possibly better than other states but at the same time, you know, the, the hospital protocols were terrible here all across the board. We were not free in that regard there. Unfortunately, you two were not the only stories I heard of, which is why I was trying to remember, think back if the Facebook, one of the Facebook campaigns I saw was with, with regards to you, because I've seen numerous others in Palm Beach and other areas where same thing, they, they, they kidnapped, basically kidnapped them, held them hostage like they did with you. They're trying to get injunctions to get them out of the hospital. It just seems crazy to think that you need a, a court or a judge to intervene to be released from the hospital. Like, <laughs> do you own your body or not? I can't even believe that we've we've gotten to this point. But um, uh, going back and that's to- that's partly you know, to why we wanna make that the documentary is to tell the, the, what the truth is. The truth is you can leave the hospital anytime you want to. And we have somebody on our 
documentary that she just took her stuff out and left, you know? So all the, you know, cause they told me, you know, he's going to die if he stands up or what, you know, at that point he wouldn't have, but I didn't know. I didn't uh -huh. know if that was the right thing to do or not. So we just want to like tell, you know, some of these myths and, you know, uh, empower people with the truth, you know? Yeah. So the, like there wasn't, there wouldn't have been any, to your knowledge, um, like consequences legally, if you just would have been like, all right, I'm up and out of here. Well, they um, wouldn't let me in. That's part of, part of the problem too. You know, yeah. a lot of patients, uh, families weren't allowed in and Dana and I were, were, uh, uh, what's the word grateful, but, uh, allowed, you know, um, but many families, I mean, I wasn't allowed in for five days and then I made a ruckus and then I got in there. But, um, yeah. a lot of times you, you can't even get in to know that you need your family member out. I mean, he had a cell phone, thank God, but still he didn't really understand what was going on. So, um, but I knew by day five, something was going bad fast and it was remdesivir but i didn't know it at the time but and anyway. the nurses the nurses who were in the know started calling referring to remdesivir as run death is near yeah. um because they knew they knew that more often than not you start giving remdesivir the patient um spirals mm -hmm. and expires and in most cases yeah. it certainly didn't help um and in in your mom's case, Dana, um, she wasn't even initially going in for a COVID. She wasn't going in for COVID, but they did one of those stupid tests mm -hmm. and held her in there because she had it. And um, the problem is, is and, and even when you talk about like, hey, she was in there, you know, twenty five days later, is the it was another part of the the pandemic, the scamdemics. Um, part of it is these PCR tests. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of test they did on her, but the, the unreliability of these PCR tests, when they put them on such a high sensitivity that um, they're just picking up fragments of the mm -hmm. virus that they, you know, dead virus fragments because they're on such a high sensitivity, but that no way means that she's still infectious or even has that, um, the disease still, the ailment. Mm -hmm. And yet based on that, they're still holding her hostage you know, she wasn't exhibiting signs of COVID when she went in. She probably still wasn't exhibiting signs of COVID at that point. To your knowledge, did, did, was she ever sick with COVID or was, you know, uh, this just all death by hospital protocol? Um, I think that, you know, because I tested positive the next day um, and I was definitely sick. Um, I couldn't get out of bed for, I mean, the entirety of her um being quarantined. Um, so, and then you know, the things that they were doing within those 10 days caused so much damage. When she went in, she tested positive for COVID, but she didn't have pneumonia. That came up in the x-ray nine days after she was admitted. So they caused her to have COVID pneumonia. Um, and they also told me it was the worst case they had ever seen. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm sure if you take a, a, a COPD patient, starve them of oxygen, give them remdesivir, yeah, you know, that's going to be pretty bad. Um, so that's what happened. But I mean, I tested positive the next day and I had the symptoms as far as, um, you know, loss of taste and smell and, and all of that. Um, so, you know, it's possible that she did, but again, you know, 
testing her 26 days later and still trying to use that as an excuse to to hold somebody so right that's just um that's the part that i can't get over with this whole thing and the lack of common sense and and how many people went along with it too that you've got a whole hospital uh <laughs> and i'm sure despite your pleas I mean, are you trying to appeal to the doctors and nurses' humanity? What are you trying to say to change their mind? And and is it did any of it work? Did any of them maybe show like a anything, or was it just a total like stonewall type thing? Oh, and when I was in the hospital, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's no, no. You got to nobody. I mean, in fact, it was just. Like everybody was just in this really bad attitude. They just complained how tired they were, overstaffed, understaffed. I mean, understaffed. Um, it was just a culture of death. I remember just walking in. It wasn't just about my husband feeling like panicky trying to help him. It it just felt, I felt like they decided he was not going to make it. They said he wasn't going to make it. You know, they'd be like, does he have anxiety? And I was like, well, who doesn't at this point? Uh, yeah, he's got some, oh, you know, it's like, it, these were the conversations you had. I mean, it wasn't like, normally you go in the hospital, you know, like, like the standard nurse is like washing you, like he was never taken care of, you know, just there, just again, out of, almost four weeks, less than five, I could tell that actually talked to him and, and said his name. Everybody else was like looking at numbers and, you know, double masked, triple masked. And that was interesting too. It was like, they had me doing double, triple stuff. And then as soon as he was ventilated, they said, oh, you just have to wear your, just a mask. And I thought, yeah. I mean, I mean, first of all, you didn't have COVID for weeks, but yeah. that's, you know, but the, right before that, it was like, oh, don't come out of the room. You're, you're going to contagious. And uh, it was just crazy. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, none of it made sense as far as logic. I mean, you know, you know, with her and I being in the same household, you know, it made no sense for me to have to wear all of that, especially because, you know, the 20 something days later, even though she was testing positive, but. I mean, none of it, all of it defied logic, you know, it's just, um, but as far as the amount of neglect um, that my mother went through, which I didn't know this until a few months after her death, after going through medical records, but, um, you know, from them just leaving her in a bed and for almost a month, um, she had uh, a really severe bed wound. And mm -hmm. I had to find that out through medical records. And that to me was one of the most disturbing things. Um, and she didn't tell me about it. They, by then they, they were keeping her so drugged up. Um, so just knowing that she was sitting there like that without even being moved um, mm -hmm. for almost a month is uh, really disturbing. Wow, that is, that is disturbing. Now, um, both of you, we established at the beginning, you, you had your loved ones go in and, um, you know, the fall, it was, we had a fall wave. I remember last year, you know, um, Florida, we get a, we get a kind of a summer fall seasonal wave. That was when Delta hit our area. So it was 
August, September of 2021. So it wasn't like fresh out. There was a lot of things that were known at that point in time. Where were you two with your knowledge and how, where were you at this? Were, were you like still, you know, um, believing the media and what you heard on the media or had you start gotten wise to what was going on? Was this your wake up call or were you already kind of suspicious and, and not on board with kind of what was happening? I mean, I, I had no clue about most everything. I mean, I was the only thing and it wasn't necessarily COVID, but I just didn't want him to go to the hospital. You know, I just begged the doctor, could we just get oxygen at home? They said, no, that's a lie. There's oxygen. You can go to Lowe's. Um, but there's just something like my wife got feeling like I just don't want him to go there. But I, I had no knowledge about remdesivir, ivermectin. People are dying in hospitals. I mean, I knew something was happening, but I was saying earlier, I, I kind of stayed away from a lot of the stuff. I mean, uh, I just didn't want to get too involved in the politics of it. So it's like I knew it from afar, but I didn't know any fine details of anything I I literally was learning it as he was in there you know and like he was kind of over here getting worse and I just learned of this and then he got worse over here and I but I was I was never caught up you know mm -hmm. I was literally an hour before he died still I was trying to get this medicine um and it was just I, I was just behind in my knowledge and that's part of the documentary it's like if I was able to watch this documentary before my husband got sick I think it'd be a whole different uh how I made my choices so yeah Dana what about you um I actually had absolutely no knowledge about any of it I didn't know about ivermectin HCQ I didn't know about any of the uh, early treatment um, therapeutics but the only thing that I did know is um, it happened to be about two weeks before she was admitted where I had run into a friend who was a respiratory um, therapist and he warned me about remdesivir. So that kind of stuck with me. Um, so, you know, that's really the only thing I knew about. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that maybe I'd heard rumors about some of the things going on in the hospitals. Um, but I didn't really take it seriously at that point. So once I realized what was going on and started people telling me like, you know, look on uncensored platforms, um, that's when I started coming across, you know, some of the uh, world-renowned doctors were being censored um, and suppressed. Uh, so she was actually being held hostage at that point when I'm finding out what they're really doing. Um, so then I started connecting all the dots and, uh, and, you know, that made it that much more horrifying knowing, mm. you know, she was already on the road for that ending and there was nothing that I can do. Um, so, yeah, just the remdesivir, that's all that I knew about. Yeah. yeah um, I think I wanted to say something real quick. Sure. Too, <clears throat> when you go in a hospital, uh, there. Uh, at least for me, I could be off here, but I'm expecting someone to try their hardest. They're way ed more educated than I am. They have a lot more knowledge and, and peers to uh, collaborate with. 
but this was a experience that they were told to do one treatment and they they did the treatment no matter if it helped them or hurt them or and they stayed on that course and they stayed hard on the course and i think that's sad because it's not just about covid that's about a lot of things that's about cancer treatments that's about you know we have a friend that just went in the hospital what a month ago or so dana for uh, a, a car accident and they insisted oh. he had COVID, and within a week he was dead he was on a ventilator and he died oh, man. Uh, the guy said he had no symptoms you know um they also said they didn't want the, the COVID protocol and yeah the woman knows her uncle is being restrained to the bed sedated yeah. put on a ventilator and given remdesivir and then he lasted two days after that was that in yes, florida as well yes, yes. jesus mm -hmm. That was in Delray, I believe, right? I think so, but no, Deland. But, you know, people are pretty surprised, like you were saying, that this is happening here um, so often, but we're like in the top three states for the protocol deaths. Um, so that's shocking to people. Um, and we have a lot of uh, restrictive laws here when it comes to patient, uh, I'm gonna say patient rights, because there's also the, the Florida free kill law, which doesn't protect um, over half of uh, the population here in Florida. Um, so I have a feeling that's a lot to do with it also. Well, since then, and I know this didn't help you guys, but since then, I know in earlier this year in like uh, February, April of 2022, there have been some laws enacted that could have helped. Um, one was um, in April, the No Patient Left Alone Act. Mm -hmm. um, that means that the hospital can't disallow you from seeing your loved ones. Would that, had that been enacted when your parents or when your loved ones were in the hospital, would that have helped any, do you think in your situations? For me, it definitely would have, because I, I feel like, uh, it was the, the 10 days of, um, isolating my mother that they were able to, you know, administer the remdesivir, starve her of oxygen you know, everything that they did <clears throat> to basically destroy her, her lungs. Um, <clears throat> so I feel like if, if she would have been able to have an advocate there with her at all times, you know, that would have definitely uh, stopped what was going on. Yeah. Um, that's a hard question. I think definitely uh, having your loved one there. I mean, that's just simple care, you know, um, I think, uh, I only know what he told me and what I saw and heard. So I can only imagine what more there was to Tony's story, you know? So I think, yeah, if I got in there day one, I mean, they, they were going to do the protocol. So that's where I pause, you know, and I didn't know that information. So that would have been happening, but I think if I was in there every day, I would have been doing more stuff with him. I don't know. I, I feel like I would have had a, a better handle on what was happening. Cause I got in there day five and was kind of frenzied. Uh, yeah. So when, so initially you were denied access, how much access did you have? Because it sounds like you were allowed some access, but what was the extent of that? Uh, it was a lottery visit where you had to call every morning from seven to nine, and then they called you and told you what time to come. And then it was supposed to be 30 minutes. 
um and it was it was this and i called it like 701 and they were like hi patty <laughs> I'm like, How do uh, they know me? Yeah. yeah it was very uh rigid so that yeah. was and then several times they're like you need to go you need to leave so so. You, so if you got if you won the lottery right um then you and you got to go you were still only allowed 30 minutes mm -hmm. that's just the most oh my gosh yeah, and I then what, I... was, what was happening, <laughs> I went there to the front desk. I didn't realize there's like, like only so many slots. I just knew you had to call and they called you, but people would go into the front desk like I did. And this, I mean, many times the ladies would be like, uh, I'm sorry, sir. But, and one day she goes, I only have, it was like 50 slots for, you know, 300 pages. It was it was like such a vast, you know, number. And I just stood there like, please let me in, you know, and they did. Um, and I, and I got in pretty much every day after where I made the big ruckus. And I'm not sure how that happened because I shouldn't have, I should have been allowed just this once in a while visit, but uh, they just kept it. But I don't know if it's because I called it 701, you know, I could have been the first caller. I don't know, but. But, but you still were only allowed like 30 minutes, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, and, and even before all this happened, I'd read a, a, a book a while, you know, several years ago, um, uh, the primal prescription. Um, and, um, it had talked about the, our, the state of our healthcare system and it had talked about always needing a patient advocate in your mm -hmm. room because, um, to, to, to make medical decisions, to be informed of your care and treatment. And that just, <laughs> totally went out the window everything everything that would either that sounds like it would make just logical sense or um that was had been accepted i think in the medical lore for years and decades before just kind of went out the window like masking like we all knew well maybe we didn't all know but it had been well established by the time covid came along that, that those surgical masks they don't do anything that's just they, they they don't they don't work um, and yet, for some reason, we all were told over and over, and now they've bought back into the propaganda. It doesn't matter. And, you know, again, just not not following the science. They're just making it up as they go along. Um, where would you guys, I know both of you said that, um, you know, before going into this, you were kind of hadn't paid too much attention. You didn't have too much knowledge about everything that was going on. Where would you say you are right now? Like how red pilled are you? How far down the rabbit hole have you gone? <laughs> Quite far. Um, yeah. In fact, it's, it's something I have to work through because it's, um, I feel like I'm, I'm very knowledgeable. I say it humbly, but I have to balance it too, because, um, basically I, I'm getting so many emails and texts <laughs> from people that whether it's a nurse or a family member that's lost people already, or a nurse that said, I, I'm not doing this anymore. This is, you know, and so it's like in one regard, it, it fuels me to keep going and helping other people. But in the other setting I have to be careful because it you know I have to relive it somewhat and you know I I have still have a lot of anger about what happened and it's hard to separate what I knew then and what I know now and remembering that I didn't know what I know now um because I I just should have did this I should have did that but I didn't know that information 
So um, it's kind of a balance that I have to make sure I protect myself because I'm still uh, grieving quite a bit. Um, but there's so many people that can't stand up and talk about it. And that's really what uh, helps me to keep gaining knowledge about this and keep standing up and uh, sharing our stories so that others won't die and suffer like our our family did. Dana, you and I met at the Florida summit on COVID. And so obviously, you know, just your being there um, uh, kind of uh, portends a certain like base level. Obviously you're there, you know who these people are. So you obviously have furthered your knowledge since your experience. Where are you at right now? Kind of with all that. Um, kind of the, the same. I mean, um, even before my, my mother was killed, I, I mean, I let the, the researching of, of everything just consumed me um, and to a point it still does. But um, yeah, I just, I feel like I've kind of become part of the, the movement for medical freedom. Um, Patty and I went to um, defeat the mandates in January. Um, yeah, we try to go to any like uh, conference convention that we can um, just for the knowledge and uh, just to be a part of something, you know, bigger than us, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, since coming out with my story, I probably get maybe four to five, um, you know, people who reach out looking for a, a patient advocate. Um, so I feel like um, if I can just help one person not to have to, to go through it with Patty and I and probably hundreds of thousands of other people have, some people don't know it though, um, then I feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's worth being consumed with it, you know? Yeah. How have your friends and family reacted? Um, are, are they on board? Are there some denial going on? Um, how, you know, have you lost friends over this? Uh, what's, tell me about that. Oh yeah. Especially, you know, on social media, um, especially right away, right after it happened. Cause I was speaking up even before it happened when they were holding her hostage. Um, but yeah, I was deleted. Um, ignored, you know, dismissed all of that. Um, people were deleting me. I was, you know, all the gaslighting, all of that. And, uh, but I didn't let that stop me, but most of all, it was, you know, the silence was extremely loud. Um, people who I thought were going to stand up with me and just nothing. Um, so I've met hundreds of, of people through this who have been, uh, you know, by my side, like Patty. Patty and I met through um, a group I created. Um, I was trying to share information, share my mom's story and some of the other like COVID support groups. And um, I would just be deleted and kicked out. So I'm like, I'll just make my own group. <laughs> um, so that's how Patty and I met. And, uh, you know, a lot of like-minded people um, and we've all come together and, you know, we're trying to be as loud as possible about our stories to, to hopefully help somebody else and I um uh what I find interesting is I have a lot of people that are encouraging me and I thank you so much for standing up but they'll they'll text me separate or message you know uh it's not just out there for everybody to see so I think there's still a lot of people afraid to say anything uh publicly they might agree with what we're saying, but they're afraid 
to put that out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's, there's been a lot of opinions on all sides for sure. Um, but I, I find it interesting that, um, people aren't, aren't able to speak up, uh, amongst other people. I appreciate their encouragement, but, um, I just, I hope that we can all stand together more and, um, uh, if it happened to Tony and it happened to Dana's mom, it's it can happen to anybody. Um, and there's not a, a a demographic. They used to say, you know, older people and this, that, and the other. I mean, my husband was 55 and and didn't really have a history too much of uh, comorbidities. And uh, you, you have a healthy 20-year-old, you have an 80-year-old. It, it really doesn't matter, you know. Um, and not even COVID. You could go in there with a broken arm and it could be something else because the the bonuses are when people are diagnosed with COVID. The, mm -hmm. the, big, the big money is uh, when you get ventilated and are given the protocols. So the government incentivizes uh, the greed. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that started coming out as all the uh, financial incentives. And that was the second part of your doc documentary. I mean, the first part was mostly just telling both of your stories, but then uh, the, the latter part of it um, was spent some time talking about the financial incentives um, about uh, a diagnosis. If they get ventilated, how much the remdesivir costs versus the ivermectin. Um, what did you find out about that? during the hospital stay or or just just in general once you started researching it what jumped out at you i mean like a pill and what sent what sent you down that path too <laughs> uh well i mean first on that day five when i finally got in that's the first day i heard the word ivermectin i had no clue what it was um i hadn't even done research on it to be honest with you i just knew he was dying and it was bad and I was desperate to try anything. Um, and then at the same time that night, the next day, I started doing my research on it, but um, very quickly, I don't remember cause I was all foggy, but uh, I didn't understand. I didn't know the remdesivir or all the controversy with it and what it, it shuts down kidneys and um, organs, but I just knew they, they were so hard at not wanting this medicine. And it was, they always did the science. It's not science-based. It's not approved. All that was lies. And when I kept doing research, uh, it was the opposite of what they're saying. So it just made me do more research. And that's kind of how this whole thing happened. The more you're like not wanting to talk to you, you don't have time for you. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Are you in the medical field? Just that kind of condescending conversation. It just, it's red flag to me. So mm -hmm. I think when that happens, it's just, I'm, I'm more apt. And I had a lot of um, uh, uh, families and, and, and people that I know that are doctors all over the country. I was talking to a lot of doctors. I wasn't just Miss Google, as they told me, are you Miss Google doctor? Uh, no, I, and, and in fact, even if I Googled, I was on like, you know, Mayo, Johns Hopkins. I mean, I was, I was trying to do the, um, 
established, I don't know what the word is, but you know, uh, prominent places that people right. would look for Re respected stuff. institutions, the yeah. science TM. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, and even when I met with the C CEO, COO, um, he said about the remdesivir ivermectin topic, he's like, you know, ivermectin is not a science-based, we're going to go by the science. Um, and I said, sir, we're reading the same studies. How can we differ our opinions on a study, on a factual? And I know there's some studies out there, a little quack -a doodle but I'm talking the, the remdesivir study, the 53% that died, and I'm talking about the you know, Brazil and India and all these places that are using ivermectin, even prophylactically, that are not having any COVID diagnoses. I mean, how can you, that is science. So, but he's like, oh, we're not going to talk about that because we're not going to agree. So they shut you down. They belittle you because you're not a nurse or a doctor, but there's no, I would love to, and I know Dana, we talked, uh, Dr. Bowden wants to talk with the doctor that doesn't that doesn't agree that does think ivermectin is a kook or whatever and let's sit down and, and talk through the science the the actual studies and let's talk through it but they don't want to do that no. they don't want to do they don't it. like they having their ideas challenged they know they're right and they don't need to right. really hash it out there's nothing to hash out i'm right why, why right. do i need to sit down and talk to you about this that's their exactly. total opinion that pompous, pompous. Yes. Yep. Um, so then when did you guys get the idea to make this documentary? Uh, my husband was fighting for his life in the hospital. A patient shouldn't be sitting there calling news media and the governor and ACA and looking up his rights. Uh, and we were, we're big advocates in the disability world. And so that's just how God made us. And I, I just was like, I need to share his story. And, um, and then, uh, you know, so many others, we have so many more stories to share and we want to do more of these, but, um, it was really my husband that kind of made me do it in a weird way because he was trying to fight for his life and share, I need more stuff. And they were saying no, and no one responded. And I was like, I need to respond this way. So that's kind of, and then as I heard more stories, I was like, oh my dear, I need to tell more than Tony's story. Um, and we need to tell these different stories. And Dana's mom's story Um in particular, because I feel like Tony's is more about there was a medicine that was helping him and they denied it. And then I feel like in Dana's story, and, and we all have different things within the story, but her story was just brutally inhumane. Mm -hmm. um, so when have we allowed patients to be euthanized, you know? Uh, and even some of these people's on people on vents are being euthanized that they're on so much meds. They're never coming out of that. So um, it's just wrong. And this, I just have to say something and I'm, I'm just one, but a lot of people are uh, thinking the same way and, and experience these same horrible, horrible suffering stories. And we have to stand and say no more.
enough. Another huge factor is the just the fact alone that all of these hospitals are completely protected with the, the CARES Act, PrEP Act. So as horrific as my mom's story is and all of our stories, even some more horrific than my mom's, there's no accountability. Um, they're completely protected. So they're allowed to force somebody into euthanasia. And then there's nothing that I can do or anybody else. And they just get off scot-free. So that is a huge injustice um, mm -hmm. for everyone. And that would be, I mean, I, I can only imagine because that would just piss me off beyond belief, you know, knowing that they did this and knowing that they got away with it and knowing that like, there's nothing I could do except what you're doing right now. I mean, I love that you are taking action. You're not just, um, you know, obviously grieving, but you're, you're turning that grief into something productive in a way of trying to honor your loved one's memory because uh, how dare they? How dare mm -hmm. they do this and be allowed to get away with it? And I, I think, and I hope I, you know, that maybe we are starting to enter an era of COVID accountability. There are some signs, you know, that um, Governor DeSantis has put out there, but, uh, you know, we, we shall see. We're a long way from it, but maybe we are taking initial steps. And I know um, you, one of, you actually, um, on the documentary, interviewed uh, Senator Ron Johnson, who, thank goodness, got reelected again. <laughs> that was that was a squeaker. We were all worried about that one. But um, he actually was even today, just before we came on to record this, he had a um, uh, meeting or a roundtable, uh, round yes, a uh, live roundtable about the vaccine injuries and putting it out there, getting all these doctors on record, talking about the problems with the vaccines as well. Um, and so he's been heroic um, in getting the, the the word out there. How did you get in connection? How did you get into contact with uh, Senator Johnson? Yeah, he had a fundraiser down here. Um, and I did not connect, you know, he was the senator that actually is standing up for all this stuff. And someone invited me. It just so happened my mom was put on hospice that day and died that night. So I wasn't able to go, but I gave my friend um, kind of like, I have this story of Tony, I tell like all through his text message. So I gave her an envelope and said, give it to him, not knowing he was, he was the guy I've been watching. I, I didn't connect the two. And then he called me a day or two later and then we kind of kept in touch that way and then when I got close to this I was like please can you be on our documentary and he was absolutely so we're really uh grateful that he did that for us and we're grateful for all the work he's doing and continues to do to help stand up for all of us and how did you get connected with Derek the uh director yeah, he and I uh, went to the same church at one point, and he did a lot of stuff for our church. Uh, and, and then I knew he had his own private uh, film company. So I reached out to him, and I reached out to another film company. And um, uh, uh, what he was able to do, and I, you know, had a, a little bit of relationship with him. So, and he, I thought he did a wonderful job sharing our stories. Um, uh, it was hard it was hard to do those yeah those, I, uh, videos it was, 
as I mean, it was hard to watch. I mean, like I said, I was, I was in tears. I was in tears um, just imagining what you must've been going through. And I would have, I would have been throwing a fit. I would have, and because maybe the difference and not that you weren't, you know, and there, and, and when you're kind of facing that situation, you can always armchair quarterback it like, Oh, here's what I would have done, but mm-hmm. you never know. But the problem is, is I, you know, I would have known about all that stuff. And my mom did get COVID at one point. It was not serious. Thank goodness. So she was never like hospitalized or anything, but I, I did know about it. So if they would have tried, hopefully I think if they would have tried to pull any of that on me, I, I don't know, but I, I, would have hopefully been able to advocate for her, but yeah. The big um, thing is, um, you know, there are a lot of people now that do have the knowledge uh-huh. and they're still, they're still doing this. They're lying. They're, they're getting that remdesivir in no matter what, that kind of thing. Um, they're pressuring patients and, uh, you know, handcuffing them to the bed. So you can, that's part of the point too, is you can have the knowledge and still be stuck, uh, in the hospital. So it's really getting the knowledge before you're sick. So you can help yourself at home uh, with doctors that are doing, uh, you know, early treatment. And that's really what needs to happen for any sickness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when we go down, I said, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? But, you know, let's just, let's just lay out a a conspiracy theory. You know, let's say they, the goal was they want to get these jabs into people's arms we need jabs and we want shots in your arm shots in your arms well how can we get this jab in your arm well we need to con- concoct this yeah. novel new virus and uh then when this novel new virus is unleashed on the world um we need to make it be as big and scary as possible we need as many people to die as possible so every step that they took along the way from not giving any sort of early treatment not giving any um signs from then when you get to the hospital um especially initially early on let's put you on the ventilator which was shown later on not to work to then um let's ignore these cheap and effective uh medicines like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine let's not talk about vitamin d let's not talk about zinc let's not talk about quercetin nothing like that um, let's instead give you remdesivir, which is, uh, again, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And then the more we do this and the more we follow the protocol and the more we're shielded, the more people are going to die, which makes it seem more scary, which is going to incentivize people to get these jabs in their arms. Again, cha-ching, 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 for whatever reason. I mean, that's where you can speculate, well, why? Why do they want so people to get vaccinated so badly? Is it merely financial? I'm, I know that the finances are part of it, but it seems like there's a a bigger piece of the puzzle that nobody can quite totally know. I mean, there are theories out there. Um, one of them was put forth in the recent documentary, Died Suddenly. I mean, is it are these Malthusians who just want us all to die? There's a, there's a case to be made for that. Is there more to it? At the Florida mm-hmm. summit on COVID, um, Dr. Malone was floating another theory too, you know, that more had to do with um, bioweapons and things like that and being you know this is more about the military preparedness and I don't know but that seems like because it seems like from step one from every step of the way they everything that they did made it worse and when my mom got it I mean again I know hers wasn't serious but when she called her doctor they're like oh yeah well you know they just basically told her to go to the hospital there was and this was you know not early on this is 2021 once it was well established that a lot of this was established they didn't give her any advice they just said no if you if you feel bad just go to the hospital 
And yeah. that's, of course, when they get you in the hospital, that's where they can just get their claws in you and right. they, they won't let you go. So there was no mention of early treatment. They didn't get, I'm like, that's just, that's just gross mismanagement. They, they, they don't tell you nothing. They don't give you anything. They just say, nah, go to the hospital where then they can do whatever they want to you. It's yeah, uh, the, cr the, criminal. Yeah. The majority of the advice is uh, if you have, if you start to have breathing problems, go to the hospital, but otherwise just stay at home and it's like, even when you have the minor flu, they tell you more than that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so That's... it's, it's like, wait till you get really bad. And then by the time you go to the hospital, we'll give you all the stuff that's going to gain all the money for the hospitals. But pretty much that's why the attitude was like that. Mm -hmm. Like he's not going to make it, you yeah. know? So, so, you know, the name of this show is called, what can we do? And um, I know part of the reason that you made the documentary, um, obviously you want to raise awareness about what, what's still going on, even in Florida. But um, what is, do you have another call to action for anybody? Um, I know we're about, we're approaching our next legislative session in January. Are you doing anything legislatively here in Florida, nationwide? What are you trying to get others to do otherwise? Having the uh, meetings that we went to, the Sarasota board meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to share that real quick, Dana? Yeah, um, so uh, there's a, a, a retired ER physician who um, has come out with his story. This, I believe, happened last year. Um, Dr. Patty, what's his name? Dr. Grafani? Grafanti? Grafanti, yeah. Um, so um, this happened at Sarasota Hospital. and. This has been type uh, kind of uh, Florida's epicenter, it seems like. There's been a lot of stories of protocol stories to come out of that hospital. But so he was actually a patient with COVID there. And obviously he's a physician who was advocating for himself. I'm in here. Anyway, sorry. Um, so there was a patient who was uh, in the bed next to him who he was watching as they're doing the protocol. and. Uh, so he kind of took over as a patient advocate for him, of course, with the patient's permission. And uh, they, you know, they were trying to uh, stop this uh, doctor from helping this man and um, told him that he can't do that. And um, he ended up wanting to sign out AMA or against medical advice. And they ended up putting him in four point restraints um, in a room. Um, isolating him to where he couldn't help this patient and unfortunately the patient ended up dying um, but so we went to a board meeting in Sarasota a few weeks ago and uh, this physician was the first to speak um, so basically it's it's to to ask the the board members to open up an investigation um, about the protocols being implemented um, in the hospitals so we're Patty and I um, are you know, we're a part of this process. We're going to be going back um, in a few weeks again. So, so that could be one thing that you know we we tell people to go to their local hospital board meetings and, and request investigations be open up to inhumane treatment, lack of treatment. Um. Uh, but uh, you know, just like our at the end of the documentary, we're asking doctors and nurses to stand up as well, to say what's going on, to uh, not be involved in this deadly protocols. Um, um, 
and I think I believe we're trying to get a group in uh, January or February to go to Tallahassee. So uh, we've been trying to do different things there, but that that's what we're trying to do is is um, share what happened and please ask uh, to not incentivize hospitals. Uh, they're making decisions, you know, with money involved and not in the best interest of the patient. And again, we have we have hundreds, and you know, we keep adding more more to the plate of these stories of and it's the same story it's the same time frame ish it's the same exact story um and it's just i uh, at the end of the day to me the the hardest part to deal with is the suffering we're the united states of america we just mentioned earlier it's we're in the state of florida for god's sakes and my husband was not cared for. He was, he was, uh, uh, not given medicine. He asked for, um, treated horribly, not given ice and water in the end or food. And that's, we are not in a third world country as, uh, Senator Johnson says in the mm -hmm. documentary. I mean, it's horrible. I well, also I think add about, I'm sorry. I mean, no, go ahead. In January, we're going to be in uh, in Tennessee for um, the reawakening tour, and um, we're actually going to be vendors there also. Um, so that's you know something else we're going to be involved in um, mid January. So and I know you mentioned that um, obviously you want to continue um, making other documentaries. Um, would they be in the same vein, telling more stories, or would there be like, are you trying to shed more light on something else, or do you know what the plan is? I and what I'm working on right now is more a doctor and nurses. You know, we had one doctor on there, but uh, talking to actual nurses that were in COVID units because they're emailing me quite a bit right now, and so. I think still sharing more stories of what has occurred with families, but then um, the other uh, people on there would be more medical people. So, and just showing all the, the differences. So we tried to show uh, three different unique situations and they, you know, two patients didn't make it and one did. And what was the difference? The difference was she got out of Dodge. And, and she got her, an advocate the whole time also. Her that's true. She in. had her husband. Yep, that's true. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, we just really want to show these uh, differences and, and the different outcomes that uh, the choices that were made and what people did and how they did it and what happened when they did those things. So I know that there's supposed to be another documentary coming out, I think in February, if I'm not mistaken, and it was actually, it's going to be um, put on by some actual Hollywood directors that have to kind of stay anonymous because obviously of the the atmosphere that they're in, um, that they they got their name associated with this, they'd be blacklisted and everything, but um, so it's going to be like a professional quality documentary. The last I saw, the working title was called Follow the Science. Um, because it kind of ironically where, you know, who was actually following the science here. Um, and what I like about what you guys did and are doing, and I think 
I think, although it hasn't come out yet, but what I was told when I, you know, when it was crowdfunding and everything about this, this upcoming documentary is what they're really trying to focus on are the stories. Mm -hmm. You need to hit those emotional strings to resonate mm -hmm. with people, to tell, to humanize it, you know? So even though I like that you um, took the time to talk about the financial incentives that these hospitals had, what really made this so powerful was hearing your stories and watching it. And as I said, I was in tears as well, just um, imagining it. And I think we need some storytellers. We can't just sit there and talk about facts and data studies and everything. We need to humanize this, that there are humans who suffered and you should care about that. Mm -hmm. And you should care about why that happened. And mm -hmm. as opposed to just turning your head, um, mm -hmm. which I know must be also frustrating to you, both of you in, you know, letting people know your stories and then even people who you thought maybe were friends or you know colleagues or what have you and maybe seeing the lack of response or even negative response to your experience that must be very hurtful yeah it's i feel like like the experience was already inhumane mm -hmm. and then someone's trying to say that's that wasn't real when you yeah. you lived that experience uh, it just is like um it's almost like you can't walk and you're trying to get up and someone just pushes you down you know mm -hmm. it's just like i'm barely walking and someone's like oh, i don't really uh think what you're saying is true when i mean i i don't have a drama bone in my body uh and this is very hard for me to do and this is just wrong and and like you said that's we wanted to do that specifically that way is is to share their stories the the life of them and then the horrible experience in the hospital to um to show the depth of it and, and tony's story is is one of the least i mean we have videos and in fact dana's mom even recorded some of herself saying they're killing me and this is what's happening. We have, uh, you know, many videos of patients that have died that have taken their phone and expressed what's happening. So we have to stand, we have to stand and not let this happen again to other people. Cause it's not just my husband. I mean, Tony leaving this earth has affected a lot of people, you know? And so we have to stand. Also, the the amount of um, of widows and widowers who are now left with young children. I mean, some mm -hmm. of the, the women in my group are, have like four young children, and you know, so it affects the kids too. So the amount of destruction mm -hmm. that this has caused is it's unprecedented. And now, you know, here comes Christmas, and now there's widows with four kids and no accountability or recourse in any way. Um, so I think that's one of the, uh, the factors that, that kind of keeps me going forward, um, with this. Mm -hmm. so. And so is it your hope, um, by going up to Tallahassee, are you just going to try and share their stories and, 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 and hope that, that a legislator will take action or do you have a specific bill or know of any bills that are going to be introduced that might somehow, um, you know, either get us accountability or prevent this from happening again, at least here in Florida? Well, the groups that we're in, uh, we've been 
talking to attorney general and surgeon general, I had to think. Um, so it's just a matter of getting those meetings to be approved, you know, so we want investigations and, and obviously laws change for sure. And we're heading in that direction, uh, definitely, but we just, we mm -hmm. can't wait. We can't wait a year or two. Like we have to get this. Sorry. Change. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel like once mainstream media will finally start picking up our stories, I think all the people who have been um, only getting their science and, and facts through uh, mainstream media, you know, it, it just needs to, to get to the general public and it's not because we're being so censored. So, you know, the amount of people we want to warn about the protocols and get to, we're just not able to because mainstream media won't, you know, they won't talk about our stories. They won't let us, you know, talk about our stories. So that's been uh, been one of the, the most difficult things about trying to get our stories out. Yeah, and, and that's why I was surprised actually that your documentary is on YouTube. Is it on any other places? Because uh, I'd be worried about them uh, censoring that since they are oh, certainly uh, not, uh, don't like the truth getting out there. Is it on anywhere else besides YouTube or where can we, let's get, let's start giving some plugs here. Where can we find you and, uh, and uh, give us some links? Yes. Yeah, so our website is uh, makingakillingdoc.com and um yeah, there's links to the full free documentary on the website. And uh, we are on Rumble as well. So they can go on there, Making a Killing. Um, and our Facebook page as well is still up. Um, oh, wow. Same thing, Making a Killing. So that, I mean, that alone is just people are really uh, sharing lots of things on there, especially a lot of medical people. So. Uh, or people that have lost loved ones as well. So uh, we just really want to get the word out and uh, share share our stories in hope of of making change and challenging medical communities and uh, other legislators and uh, to stand up. And aren't you are you raising money for the next documentaries? Yes. So, so that is also on our uh, website. So uh, give, send, go, I believe, Dana, right? We did. Um, so that's on there as well to, to do number two, number two video. So we need, we need help with that. So. Yeah. Do you have a time frame for that? Or is it just whatever you make, you know, raise the money or. Yeah, I figure uh, if we get up to half, so at least. Uh, we have a goal on there, 25,000, but if we get, you know, close to half, then I feel like we whip this together in a couple months. So, uh, and it, we already, I'm already lining people up for the next story. So it's just a matter of trying to get people to stand behind us and, and help us do that, do more stories. So we need, we need that financial help for sure. Oh, great. Well, so I will um, link to all this in my show notes page. Um, send it out to my email list. It's not substantial, but it's something. But um, yeah, and and make sure that uh, we can get as many eyeballs on this as possible um, because your stories are important. And um, obviously, and we don't want um, your loved one's deaths to be in vain. And I'm so glad you came here to talk about them and share share your memories. And um, 
I applaud your courage, your conviction. And, and even though this is hard um, and um, difficult and you're still grieving and everything that you're kind of fighting through it um, to, to do this for them. And um, I'm glad that you're standing up and taking action. Part of one of my uh, slogans is unite and fight. And also um, I want to inspire and encourage others to take action. And, and I hope that your stories inspire and others encourage others to take action as well, because um, you know, the, the private notes of encouragement are nice, but mm -hmm. are they going to make a difference? We need your voice. We need your action. We need your intelligence, your talent, your treasure, anything. Um, we need you to get in the game. And that's what Patty and Dana are out there trying to advocate for. And I hope that we are able to stay in touch um, as the months and years roll by. And if anything I can do to help promote anything else that you're doing, um, I'd be happy to do that. So Patty and Dana, thank you so much for joining us on our show. And um, anybody wanna have a final word? I just appreciate the opportunity and uh, just getting the word out and uh, listening. And then we got to stand. So you are standing. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. And and uh, yeah, we'll have to keep in touch. And uh, there is another thing happening in Florida soon on the January fifth and sixth, right, Patty? Yes, January. Yes. No, no. Yeah, you're right. January fifth and sixth. January. So. Yeah like the nurse freedom network or something. freedom summit or yeah. 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 Well, send me that info. So either I can go or do something about that. So, all right, ladies, um, really appreciate it. Um, appreciate your voice, appreciate your strength and resilience and um, let your loved ones deaths not be in vain. Thanks so much for joining us on uh, what can we do? Take care. Thank you.